listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. So you probably have some devices in your possession that you utilize with something called peripheral devices. A peripheral device is something that goes with something that you own and use. In fact, a peripheral device is basically of no use apart from the device it's intended to be used with. I have a, I have a, a, a MacBook that I really enjoy. Once, once I went Mac, I don't ever want to go back. And that, hey, man. Anyway, so, uh, but anyway, that's just where I'm at. So the church made it possible for us to have this MacBook. Well, there was a time when I liked to have my, my laptop sitting up a little higher so it would look like a desktop. But with it sitting up a little higher, I, I don't want to sit at it and, and have to put my hands way up and, and elevated because that, number one, just looked weird. And number two, it probably wasn't good for my posture and my back, my overall health. So someone said, hey, you know what they've got? They've got these peripheral devices, keyboards and trackpads and all kinds of other things that you can get. And what you do is you buy these and, and you set them anywhere you want and you just sync them to the computer. So through a, through a cord or through Bluetooth or through other types of communication, you can sync these peripheral devices that, that have power. I got, I got batteries in here and I push them and I turn them on, but until they're synced to the computer, they're not really functioning as they intended. Good products, plenty of power, they just have to be synced. When you sync them, when you take it and you connect it to the device, then, then these things become what, what they refer to as slaves to the computer because the computer is telling them how to operate. So they are communicating with and operating for the computer. You've got these same kind of devices that you plug up to your phone. So that when you're out working out, you know, so as you can go to the beach and look buff, you can have your, your, uh, your speaker off to another spot and you got your phone that's driving the music. And all this thing is doing is just playing what the phone is telling it to play through its syncing mechanism. For the next few weeks, we want to talk about a passage of scripture that I came across several weeks ago. In fact, I would say probably even several months ago. It's a, it's a passage out of the book of Philippians. It's found in Philippians chapter number one. We're not going to be there today, but in Philippians chapter number one and verses 27 all the way through 30, just, just 27, 28, 29, 30, just four verses. We want to spend a week on each one of those verses, and it captivated me. Uh, I've even preached through Philippians before, but this little section just really got my attention. Because it's telling us, Paul is instructing by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he's instructing the church how we're to operate as a unit. And he's giving us some very specific ways that our life is to be synced with the will and purpose of God. And when we're all synced together with the same device or the same source, if you will, 
then all of a sudden we begin working together as a unit, being led and, and driven by a whole uh, a, a source entity, which is our Heavenly Father. And he's leading us in the way we ought to go. And we're synced to him. And when we're synced to him, then we work together in the same way that we would work on this unit itself. As though this unit were actually doing the work, these peripherals become an extension. So the point is going to be that we be synced together with him. When we're synced together with him, then we'll be synced together with one another. I thought about calling the series In Sync, but too many of y'all went through the 90s, and I thought there's no sense in making the ladies dream about Dustin Timberlake for the next month and a week. So we're just going to call it Synced. If you do have your Bibles, and I want to encourage you to bring them or your, your Bible on your phone or your tablet, if you have your uh, smartphone or tablet, you can find us on Version. Under the, uh, the far right tab, you click on, I think it says more, and you look under events, and Oasis Church should pop up right there, and you can follow it right along. Today, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to pick up reading in verse number 3. We're going to read through verse number 11. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. <clears throat> we're going to just go through this, and then we're going to celebrate at the table. We're going to share a time of communion together at the conclusion of our message. As we think about being synced to our source, which is God, as we think about being connected to him so that he's driving how we operate, it sure would be nice if we knew what that looked like. And because God is so sovereign... He says, I'm going to show you what that looks like. In fact, that's what Paul does in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. He's talking in the context of how we are to live together with one another with an attitude of sacrifice. As we are to think about others as more important than ourselves, he gives us this context of here's what it looks like for you to act this way. Here's what it looks like for you to live out a life as a follower of Jesus in the context of community, you know, we, we almost always are in community somewhere, whether it's with our brothers and sisters at church, whether it's with our coworkers at work, our classmates at school, our neighbors in our neighborhood, or just the folks we're standing in line at Walmart with or stuck in traffic because of the wreck that's up in front of us. We're living in community. And Paul says, this is what it should look like for you to live in community. When we come to this passage, it's going to sound richly theological. And in fact, it is going to be one of the most theologically rich passages in the whole New Testament because it speaks about how that Christ became human. But the point Paul is making is this illustration of look what he did and model yourself after him. When you do, you will be synced to God like Jesus. So let Jesus be your example and pattern your life and attitude after him. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, so let's read the passage. Philippians chapter number two, beginning in verse number three. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We do this 24-7 
seven days a week, 365 days a year. We do things motivated by our own ambition. But Paul says don't do that. But in humility, count others as more significant than yourself. We're taught to take care of number one. Paul says, as a follower of Jesus, let number one be everybody else before you. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or in conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. Verse four, let each of you look not on his own interest, but also to the interest of others. How we are to live as followers of Jesus in community putting others first, seeking the good of others before we seek our own good. And then verse five says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind in yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When he says, have this mind in yourselves, that second person plural. He's basically saying, y'all have this attitude among yourselves. While we are individual parts of y'all, we're in the South, that's what we say. While we're individual parts, the idea is you guys should have this same mind, this same attitude. This idea of an attitude is the, is the concept of, of researching it out, understanding what's about to happen, and then making an educated decision. This is not what a good old Southern boys do when they see something that they think they can do, and the accident always starts with, hey, y'all, watch this. That means they're about to do something that they think they can do, but they probably hadn't put a lot of thought into it. That's not what this is talking about. Paul is saying, after careful, after careful study, after careful evaluation, decide to have this attitude in yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. It's not something that you come to on your own strength, in your own faculties, in your own abilities. This is not natural to us, considering others as more significant than ourselves, looking out for the good of others before we look out for the good of ourselves. That's not intuitive to our nature. Our nature is selfish because of sin. Sin makes us look first for me. Take care of number one. Paul says, no, no, don't have that mind. Have the mind of Christ that is yours through him. Well, how is it mine? Because by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, we are moved from death to life. We are moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We are born into and adopted into the family of God when we, by faith, trust Jesus as our Savior, plus nothing, minus nothing, his death and resurrection as the answer to my sin. We are born into the family. We are given the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And the Bible says that now we have a new Mind, it's there if we'll choose to activate it. So have, have this mind in all y'all. So working together as a unit of individuals 
Sink your minds to the Father like Jesus was synced to the Father. Y'all have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? Who is who? Jesus. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So now he's going to explain how that Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to consider others more significantly than himself. He's going to show what it looks like to put the needs and interests of others before the interests of himself. He said, here's what Jesus did. Even though he was in the form of God, now what is that? When you say the form of God, it doesn't mean that he looked like God. It doesn't mean that he represented what God might be like, no. When he talks about the form of God, this word form is the Greek word morphe. It means being in essence God. Even though Jesus, even though God the Son was essentially God, it wasn't that Jesus had a little less than what God the Father had and a little more than what God the Holy Spirit has. No, this idea of being the the essence of God, it's talking about whatever is needed for the for the Godhead, that, that Godness, whatever that involves. Jesus had it all. Now, certainly our understanding of the scripture is that it teaches that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit eternally existing as three distinctive persons of one Godhead. So it's not just a, it's not just three things of the same. No, it's three unique persons making up one God. But Jesus in himself, He had it all. What did it look like for Jesus to consider others more significant than themselves? Well, from eternity past to the point in which Paul is referring, Jesus had everything at his disposal as the second person of the Godhead. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God on the same level, not more or less, all three God yet distinctively different. He did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. What does that mean? In, in Jesus' willingness to be synced with the will and desire of the Father, even though he had all of the attributes and essence in himself as the second person of the Godhead, he did not see that as something he had to hold on to in order to fulfill the will of God. In fact, he could not hold on to that. He was willing to let go, if you will, if he ever grasped, he was willing to hold all that was his by right with an open hand. He was willing to see that as something that I don't have to hold on to in order for me to be who I am and I can't hold on to it in order to do what I'm going to do. Now we know what grasping looks like because here's what we'll do. We'll grasp at anything to make ourselves feel significant. Let me give you an example. If you've ever watched or played uh, like industrial league softball, 
there's always like three dudes on the team, you know, they're about as big around as they are tall, but they'll swear to you they can still run the bases just like I could in high school. You know, we won the state championship my year. And they'll get up there and they've got to hold the bat way out here in order to get it out in front of their belly. And they might can hit it and they'll run around and they'll look funny, but they're going to pull something. But they're going to scratch and claw to get around the best. All right, it'll be fine by tomorrow. We play the doubleheader, aren't we? They're living their glory days in a way that they really can't. You know what they're doing? They're grasping at what made them feel significant. It's, it's why we'll spend thousands of dollars putting hair where hair has long ago stopped holding on. What? We're grasping at youth. We're trying to feel significant. Look, Paul said, Jesus was so interested in the, in the needs of us that the second person of the Godhead did not even consider the essence of who he was, something that needed to be grasped, it was something he could hold with an open hand. But, verse 7, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. And that is a word that theologians have wrestled with and wrestled with. It's, it's this idea, this, this self-emptying. It's not that they don't know what the word means. Well, they know what the word means. And in, in the Greek, they get that this word means to self-empty. What they wrestle with is... What in the world does it mean for the second person of the Godhead to empty himself? That's something that we honestly don't really understand. But here's some things that he let go of for us. If you'll allow me a little leeway, here are some thoughts to consider. When Jesus held his essence as the second person of the God, when he held it with open hands and saw that as something that he could set aside for our good, understand, he never set aside being God. You realize that God the Son has always been God the Son, and there's never been a moment in time, and you understand time was his creation, and we're just living in it. There's never been a time when Jesus was not God. So he didn't set aside the fact that he was God, but here's some things that he did set aside. He set aside the constant face-to-face relationship that he had with the Father and the Spirit. God the Son was willing to set aside something that for eternity had always been true, the intimate face-to-face relationship that there was in the Trinity, God the Son was willing to set that aside so that he might come and be face to face with his creation that had become his enemy. He set aside that face to face intimacy. He set aside the the sovereign ownership of everything. All things were created by him, Colossians says, and by him all things hold together. He owns it all. 
And for a period of time, he set aside his right to own it all so that he might come to a place where he would own virtually nothing. In fact, one of his disciples said, we want to come and see where you live. And Jesus doesn't have a home. Foxes have homes, but I don't have. He set aside, he became poor so that we might experience his riches. And he ain't talking about greenbacks. He's talking about new life in him. So he set aside all that. He set aside voluntarily his use of the, of the abilities that he had. Voluntary use. Now, understand, I don't think that he ever set aside his omnipotence. What is that? That's his all power. I, I think Jesus Christ had access to his power the whole time. I think he didn't set aside his omniscience, knowing and, 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 and being fully aware of everything and anything. I don't think he, I don't think he left it. He had, I don't think he left out his uh, omnipresence, maybe because he put on a body. But the idea is that he set it aside so that according to the gospels he might come and learn how to walk and learn how to talk and learn how to interact and he put himself in a place that he didn't have to for the good of others you, you you watched the video of some of the places we went to in the dominican one of those places was out in the middle of the sugarcane fields and there were uh people living out there in Garbage. They really were living in garbage homes. They took garbage and they put it together and they lived inside of it. Now, I want you to imagine, we went to them and all that we had in the bus with AC and with backpacks and with water and with sunglasses and comfortable clothes and shoes. We had shoes. It was awesome that we went and snacks in our backpack and probably snacks in the bus, definitely more snacks back at the hotel where we were going to sleep that night. We went there and interacted with them for about two hours, two and a half hours maybe. What Jesus did would be like us setting aside everything we've got and stripping down to one set of clothes that we're going to find when we get there and going in and sleeping with them. Not taking a cell phone with us just in case. Hey, look at that. I had a light on. Not in case that we would have a, a habit just in case an emergency happens. I can call somebody to come get me, please, because this is not what I expect. No, this is setting it aside. He emptied himself so that he might step into our world and experience it like we do. Paul says that's what it looks like to consider others more significant than yourself. Jesus set aside everything that was his right and he submitted his voluntary use and exercise of that so that he might step into our world, follow the lead of the Holy Spirit and accomplish the will of God the Father for you and me. Paul says... Y'all have that mind in you. That's what it looks like to be saint like Jesus. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Morphe. He is in the form, the essence of God. 
He put on the essence of a servant. He he stripped himself of his rights so that he might be what we needed. He stepped into that role and it cost him everything. Voluntarily. Now think about Pilate who said, don't you know that I have the power to kill you or set you free? And the beat up son of God looked him in the eye and said, you would have no right or power at all over me if it weren't allowed you because Jesus emptied himself. For what? For you, for me. By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. John, 4, John 1, 14 says, the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. He was born and take, took on the likeness of men. Do you realize that the incarnation of Jesus Christ might be the most important miracle in all of scripture? You go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the resurrection? They're not gonna be a resurrection and there's certainly not gonna be one that matters had not the son of God been willing to be born of a woman and take on humanity. Do you realize there's nothing about Jesus that is not like you with one exception and that is sin? In every other way, however you hit Jesus, it hurt him. However you insulted Jesus, it would break his heart. However you stepped on him, whatever you did to him, you put something in his body that had bacterial infection in it, he'd get sick just like you do. Why would he do such a thing? Because he considered others more significantly than he did himself. Being found in human form, verse number eight, he humbled himself. He had to humble himself. Because he had not humbled himself, they would have never overtaken him. You know why? Because he never ceased to be God. At any point in time, and it's weird to even say that, but at any point in, in the life of Christ, he could have taken up all that was his and exercised it to the full. You'll recall a time where he said, if I just spoke, the father would send thousands of angels because it's right there at my grasp. I can pick up the phone and I can call and come get me. It's right here. Yet he humbled himself and said, nope, this is our will And I'm obeying the Father, following the lead of the Spirit for the good of our creation that we love and we intend to redeem. He became obedient to the point of death all the way to the end. Jesus never pulled the lifeline. Jesus never asked for a trap door. He was obedient to God to death on Wednesday night we talked about a little bit brought an illustration to the to the student ministry 
about Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's full of accounts of people, and there are thousands upon thousands of more that aren't recorded in that volume of followers of Jesus who who heard the leading of the Spirit, walked with him, pursuing that relationship that they have as God's child, free to do and be the child that God had given them to be through faith in Jesus. And you know where God led them? To the Colosseum. To be destroyed by gladiators, to be eaten by wild animals. They were led to the, to the pits of oil to be dipped and hung and set afire. They were tied to stakes to be lit up. They were stretched, drawn, quartered, buried alive. For what? The cause of Christ. They became obedient unto death. And you know who they were following? Their example. Walking that dark line through the valley of the shadow of death, but fearing no evil. Why? Because he is with him. The rod and the staff would comfort as he led them to a point of death, but ultimate victory. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. But verse number nine tells what's on the other side of the cross. Because of his obedience, because of his being willing to to sink his mind with the mind and heart of God, therefore, because of the work of Christ done fully, completely, obediently, God has highly exalted him. God has lifted him up above all those that would have thrown insults. He's lifted him up and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Has that happened yet? No. You turn on your TV. You'll find all kinds of folks. Listen to two cubicles down. And you'll probably hear the voice of someone who would die before they would confess Jesus as Lord. You people are morons. Is Christ at the right hand of the Father? Yep. Has Christ been given that name that's above every name? Oh, you betcha. Is he exercising that glory? Not quite yet. But it's going to happen. Can you empty yourself? Yep, you can follow the example of Christ. Can you obey God all the way to death? Yep. Is everybody going to glory in your sacrifice for his sake? At some point. Not yet. But as sure as Christ was raised, as sure as Christ has ascended, Christ is going to return and that promised glory will be his. And so we follow his example knowing that we might not experience in this life that glory that God promises, that victory that he tells us will be ours. We might watch his loved ones go to the grave following Christ and having never experienced the glory. What are we to do? 
Follow the example. Step into that line that Jesus walked. Be synced to the will and mind of God because he's synced to the will and mind of God. And when we all are synced into the mind and will through the word of God, you know what we'll discover? That all of us, though different, begin to work in sync with each other. You see, we won't ever be in sync, in unity. We won't ever be pursuing the same purpose and goal until we're all synced to the same mind and will, following him through his word. And Jesus is our example. Jesus was synced to the Father through selflessness. Not thinking of himself, but thinking of others. Jesus was synced to the Father through humility, stepping down, setting aside, and letting him lead in an an arena that did not have to be his. Jesus was synced to the Father through obedience. Wherever the Father led, Jesus followed. Whatever the Father said, Jesus communicated. And whatever the Father required, Jesus willingly obeyed. And Jesus was synced to the Father in future victory. Oh, it's his. It's just not exactly exercised yet. But it's coming. Jesus shows us how to be synced. Selflessness. Humility, obedience, waiting for the victory. When we follow his example, then we can go back a few verses and hear what God says to us about how we are to be synced to him as a body. And when he gives us these things, we can put those to practice if we have decided to have the mind of Jesus that is synced to him. To whatever he says, that's what we'll do because we know his promises and we want to follow his purposes. So let his attitude be ours. Let his life show us the way. And let's decide today, you know what, Father? I see what Christ did. And I know it's, it's for me. And I know his actions were to provide redemption for me, but I want his life to be the example to me. I want to walk the walk he walked. I want to be synced to you. I want to be synced like Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Nobody's looking around. This is just a time for you to reflect. First question I'd ask is, have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? If you never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to imagine yourself like this keyboard with no battery. You can't be synced because you have no power. You are, as it is, dead. But God wants to bring you from death to life. And he's made that way possible by faith alone in Jesus. Plus nothing, minus nothing. We bring him our sin. We confess it. We ask him to save us. And by his grace, 
he saves us. Maybe you know Jesus as your Savior, but you're really more synced to your own desires and will and wants than you are to his. I just want to encourage you, take a few minutes. Just right where you're at. Father, I know you want my life to be lived for you. So I pray that you'll help me align my heart and mind with yours and take the example of your son in selflessness, in humility, obedience, and in expectation what you've promised for our future. I want those to be the connections that I have to your heart so that I can then do what you've called me to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, we got a couple folks that are up front that would love to take a minute and pray with you. Father, we thank you for privilege we have of being loved by you and we thank you for your son who gave his all for us we thank you for the Holy Spirit that empowers us connects us to your heart and mind and will lead us I pray that you'll remove distractions that you'll help us to see where our life is out of balance or out of order so we can truly be synced like Jesus. And if we're all together synced like Jesus, we'll work together and it'll be awesome. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together. And as we begin to celebrate at the table, we ask that you will remind us of the high price that was paid for our sin in the person of your son. It's in his name we pray. Everybody said.